Right. Well, I love that song. Thank you, Matt, for blessing us with that uh, wonderful way to focus uh, really what, what today is about in so many respects. And it, and it comes at a very timely moment when we think about the song that we're called to sing. And, and you think about going through the 4th of July weekend and all those different songs you sing that focus in on our nation's freedom and patriotism, right? You got the Star Spangled Banner, uh, Lee Greenwood's uh, Proud to be an American is one that always finds its way, making its way through our Alexa at our home, and our kids love that one. And, and we love to sing of these things uh, on a weekend like this one, but, but one of the things that we want to be mindful of whenever we go through a weekend like this and we come into a Sunday morning is that patriotism, if we're honest, ebbs and flows, right? Nations rise and fall. Uh, but what doesn't wane, what doesn't diminish is the freedom that we have in Christ, in his kingdom. And that, that always gives us a reason to sing. And what a beautiful way for us to focus in on that this morning. And that's really my hope and my desire is that we can once again press into what is that song and, and how do we sing it? How, how do we behold this, this holy God that helps us see ourselves differently, helps us see the world differently, helps us see uh, life differently in such a way that we always have a reason to sing to each other and to him both now and forevermore. That's the hope and that's the goal of today's message. And so let's just, let's just pray for that to happen. Let's just pray for God's spirit to lead us and guide us according to his truth as we give consideration to these things this morning. Let's, let's pray together. Father in heaven, we love you and you give us an incredible reason to sing. And so let us behold that this morning. Let your word speak truth into our hearts, souls, and minds, and let it result in a joyful praise that fills not just this room, but our very existence. Everywhere that you lead us, God, uh, let our lives be songs of praise that are offered to you. We thank you for this moment. We now entrust it to you and to your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So um, a, a couple of weeks ago, we were in Abilene visiting family and kind of hanging out for, uh, you know, trying to pass time in the midst of, of a pandemic and had a wonderful opportunity to, to see family. And it was around that time that we started getting some updates from the different school districts about what school is going to look like in the fall. And that's been a very pertinent point of conversation in a lot of uh, households, especially our household, as we think about what are we going to do with our kids and what's it going to look like. And so this was around the time that Fort Worth ISD released some of their initial guidelines and stipulations. Uh, Arlington ISD put some things out there. And so uh, Jennifer and I, we were running an errand together, and we were sitting there, and we were talking about it. And uh, I think kind of instinctively, she was curious, well, what, what do other moms think about this? What are they going to do? So she gets out her phone, and she starts getting to this little Facebook group page, Arlington Moms, or something like that. And she starts just reading, and, and it's one of those huge groups that you don't really know everybody. It's just kind of a, a general affinity that brings people together. And so she was reading some of the comments and some of the discussions that these moms were having about the school approach. And, and shocking, not everyone agreed, right? Like there were different opinions being voiced. But as she was reading the comments, it was amazing to once again see an example of just how hostile people can be today. And it was like, just this, this anger that these moms were expressing with one another about, well, you shouldn't share your opinions here. Why you can't tell me that I can't share my opinions? Man, when moms are going at it like that, you know that we've lost our way. And it was just a, another example that we have all these different venues and avenues where we try to communicate to one another, and, and we don't really seem to know how to do it, right? We, we see this hostility not just on social media. We see it 
in uh, the news, we see it in politics, we see it all over different elements in societies in the world. And it seems as if we've kind of forgotten how to speak to one another, right? Like we, we've kind of lost this sense of how do we have appropriate discourse. And, and part of what we need to be mindful of is that as believers, right, as the community of faith, we should be different, right? The way we speak to others should look and feel and sound different. The way we speak to each other, the way we, we commune with one another should be different. And the world needs to hear that. Now, sadly, a lot of times it's not different. A lot of times the church falls victim to the same pitfalls. And, and we begin to interact and, and converse with hostility and aggression and all those other things. And so part of what we have to do is rise above that, especially in today's climate, and remember, how do we speak to one another? Right? And that's what this passage is going to do. It's going to give us a tremendous suggestion. It's going to kind of give us a an interesting focus of how we can make sure that we do that well. You know what the suggestion is? Sing. And I love that. I think that's great. I've always thought life would be better if it was a musical. Am I alone in that? Anybody else like wish life was, thank you, right? Wouldn't it be great like the next time you're in an argument with a spouse or a friend that you both just broke out into song and you had to sing out your feelings and I just think it would be so much more compelling and interesting because there's something powerful about music. Right? It conveys things in ways that words can't. Uh, just two nights ago, we were watching this documentary series on Disney Plus on the making of Frozen 2, uh, which, side note, all that goes into making an animation movie today is mind-blowing. I, just, I don't know if you know that, but if you're interested in any of that, you should watch the documentary series. It's pretty fascinating. But point being that the chief animator that was a part of this, these first couple of episodes was talking about the stress and the pressure of putting all this stuff together. And he said, you know, at some point, I just, I go to this one part of our office and it's this hallway in the animation studios. And on this hallway, they've got these framed letters that people have, have sent in, you know, to kind of encourage them and just say, here's what this story meant to me. Here's what this song meant to me. And, and it was really neat. He said, you know, sometimes when I'm stressed and I'm overwhelmed with all the pressure, I just come here and I just kind of remember what what this can do, you know, the impact that it could have. And he, he read this excerpt of this letter from this 15-year-old that talked about when the first time, you know, she really kind of saw the first movie. Uh, it was a really difficult time in her life. Her grandfather had passed away. Her dad had been put in prison. She was overwhelmed uh, with so many different emotions and depression. And she says in the letter, and she's like, and then I heard this song, and it gave me hope. That's what music does. Right? It, just, it just connects in a different way. It gives us hope. Right? It gives us an opportunity to, to truly be transformed. And so the question I want to ask you this morning is if your life is a melody, what are people hearing? Right? What song are you singing? And how is that influencing how we're engaging with the world around us and the world amongst us as believers? My hope is that again, we can figure out how we do this well in a manner that helps us to behold this holy God so that we can speak to each other well and we can offer our praise to him both today and forevermore. And so we're gonna see how this passage gives us that instruction. If you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter five. Now, let me give you some context again. This is coming in the midst of a, of a discussion. Paul is filling these chapters with contrast of old self, nude self, let uh, death to life, all these different things. And when we got to uh, the middle part of chapter five, it was light and darkness. And the encouragement was live as children of light. And that's kind of the umbrella that's navigating what we've been reading since. Last week, we saw that one of the ways that you live as children of light is through being wise, 
right? Choosing wisdom over foolishness. And one of the marks of wisdom is to make the most of every opportunity. And so it's under this umbrella of living as children of light and, and kind of moving with this contrast between wisdom and foolishness that Paul is going to continue. So we're going to focus on verses 18 through 20, but I'm going to actually start in verse 15 this morning. So pick back up in verse 15. <clears throat> Paul says, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so there's the, the progression, right? So basically what Paul is doing in this paragraph is he's operating under that umbrella of living as children of light, and he's taking us from here's wisdom and here's worship, okay? And so it's a really interesting progression because the way in which he, he leads us there is a very uh, direct and kind of blunt transition statement, right? It, it, and it's one that I don't think any of us would have anticipated. His transition statement is, don't get drunk. There you go. I kind of thought about just ending the message there today. Like, all right, there you go, guys. Don't get drunk. Go in peace, right? Amen. It's a very abrupt and odd kind of statement, here, Paul is about to take on drinking and worship music, two very controversial topics in the church, but here's, here's how he's doing it, right? He says, don't get drunk, and there's a simplicity to that, right? Now, I know some people are out there going, now, careful, Jeremiah, it says, don't get drunk on wine, and you're looking for loopholes, right? Look, don't quit, quit looking for loopholes, all right? It's just, don't get drunk, period, the end, okay? And the reason that we need to give thoughtful consideration to that is because on the surface, it seems simple, but there's much more to it. Uh, I know that in my personal walk with Jesus, there was a simplicity when I first decided to really follow Jesus at the age of 16, that that was kind of the consensus of the voices around me. Don't drink, don't smoke, don't cuss, right? Which are all really good guidelines because there is this, this moral adjustment that takes place when we follow Jesus, but we should all know that, that following Jesus is so much more than just morality, right? And it's more than just this, here, don't do these things. There's, there's a relationship that's involved. And so what I don't wanna do is make the same mistake where we just read this statement and go, okay, it's just a simple kind of moral guideline that Paul is trying to offer. It's actually much more profound and there's nuances to this that I think are gonna really help us understand where he's taking us with this con conversation of worship. Now, in order to understand this, part of what I want us to do is consult another passage of scripture that Paul is likely referring to here. He, he's most commentators and scholars would argue that he's quoting Proverbs 23:30 in some capacity, and he's referring to this other section. And so I want us to read this section from Proverbs 23, starting, I'm gonna read the whole section and not just the verse that, that Paul is referring to. We're gonna read verses 29 through 35 in Proverbs 23. Here's what he says. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaints and who has needless bruises? who has bloodshot eyes, those who linger over wine, who go to sample bowls of mixed wine. Do not gaze at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, and when it goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a snake and poisons like a viper. Your eyes will see strange sights and your mind will imagine confusing things. You will be like one sleeping on the high seas, lying on top of the rigging. They hit me, you will say, but I'm not hurt. They beat me, but I don't feel it. When will I wake up? so I can find another drink. 
So this is the passage that Paul is more likely, most likely referring to. And part of what I think this helps us see is that Paul's creating an image, right? What he's doing is he's creating a picture of foolishness, right? You read through Proverbs 23, and that sounds like the fool, right? Who says, man, I'm, I'm being hit, but I don't feel it. When can I wake up and have one more drink, right? It's this life of foolishness that would have been very accessible. That, that's an image that would have been very accessible at this time because this was a, a very prevalent practice during this time as it is today, right? People giving into this sort of lifestyle. And so he's creating a picture of a life of foolishness and saying that that's not wise. Children or Christians should live differently. Now, part of what creates this, uh, this picture of foolishness is is an opportunity for us to understand what leads us into such choices, right? And so I think this is where the nuances of Paul saying, don't get drunk on wine because it leads to debauchery, carries some added weight and some more introspection, right? So part, part of what we're seeing is that the, the issue here is temptation, right? You see it in the Proverbs passage, right? Proverbs is saying when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly, like it's, it's using this language of temptation, right? And we know that that's, that's an alluring part of, of alcohol, but really any vice, right? So there's, there's this article in The Guardian that I came across uh, just this week, but it was written, I think, in 2016 that talks about what, what makes uh, alcohol in particular so alluring and so tempting, right? And we, we know a lot of these, you, you're taught these a lot of times, that part of it is that it, it's a de-stressor. Um, it removes your judgment, so you, you feel more uh, able to say certain things and do certain things. It, it stimulates the dopamine in your brain, which is what creates an addiction and that pleasure-seeking experience, right? So, so all these things are what make it tempting and what make us keep going back to it. So here, because of context, Paul's pointing out the, the allure of, of the wine, right, and the way that it can be misused. But what I would say that all of us could consider today is just what temptation that you have in life could lead you astray from the gospel, right? It, it could be anything. It doesn't have to be alcohol. That, that life is filled with fruitless temptations that are gonna lead us away from Jesus rather than towards him. So what's tempting you? And are you giving into those temptations? Is that what you're filling your life with to a certain extent that it is now creating a picture of foolishness? Right? We have to guard against those sort of temptations because those temptations often lead down a destructive path. And that's what Paul's trying to highlight. Right? Don't get drunk on wine. Why? Because it leads to debauchery. So, so debauchery means reckless or, or wild. Right? And, and it's used in other contexts. You, you find it in 1 Peter 4, uh, verse 4, that talks about the pagan world around that is committed to reckless and wild living. You see it uh, in the discussion with the prodigal son, the parable of the prodigal son. Luke 15, 13 tells us that he squandered away his wealth on wild living. Right? It's the same word for debauchery. So it's this, it's this wildness. You think about the story of the prodigal son, and, and really it's a story of how those temptations were leading to excess. Right? I want more. I want the inheritance now. What I have is not enough. Right? I, I want to experience all these pleasures now. I want to have all these indulgences now. And what, it, what it's highlighting is that that wild and reckless li living is often a pursuit of excess. And more often than not, when we consider how excess is discussed scripturally, it's rarely positive. 
right? So it, it could be the excess of wealth, could be the excess of lust, the excess of food, the excess of fill in the blank. More often than not, it leads to ruin, right? And so part of what we also need to consider is, is that lacking contentment that can so frequently plague us in life, right? There's something beautiful about being content, right? Paul says, I've, I've found out what it means to be content in any and all situations, right? That the idea is that when we find Jesus, when we find the gospel, we find sufficiency. We find enough. We don't need to have a life that is constantly pursuing the excesses of things, right? That Jesus is enough. When we lack contentment, we're constantly wishing for more and desiring more, seeking to fill some void that really can't be fulfilled. And if we're not careful, we begin living a life where all we do is wish for things that God would do for us tomorrow rather than being mindful of all that God has done for us today. Right? So we have to understand contentment. So part of what he's trying to convey to us is don't fill your life with these temptations that lead you into all these excesses that can ruin you, right? Avoid those things. What he's doing is he's creating a picture of a fool who has run after all these self-indulgences to the extent that they've lost control. And he's saying that's foolish. Don't fill your life with such things. Rather, fill it with the Spirit. That's wisdom. And there's the contrast, right? Don't, don't fill your life with these tempting excesses. Fill it with the Spirit of God. And that's where we find this, this incredible transition. This statement becomes very important for us to understand what's not just happened in the preceding verses, but what's happening in the following verses as well. So let's make sure we understand the importance here. So Spirit is the Holy Spirit. Right, this isn't a spirit or or one spirit or a few spirit. Like this is the Holy Spirit, and from a New Testament perspective, we know that the Holy Spirit really marks the new creation, the new kingdom, the birth of the church. It, it's where we fully begin to understand the power of God, the fullness of God, and and all the different promises of God coming to fruition. Okay, so the Spirit is integral in the church and integral in our understanding of what it means to follow Christ. And so Paul's emphasis here, in order for us to understand the role the Spirit plays in our life and how we experience it, is to really get a better understanding of this verb that's attached to it, be filled. Okay, so, so that means to be complete. And, and we've seen this notion of fullness appear several other times in this letter already, the fullness of God who fills everything in every way, right? We, we've seen this already in this letter. And so part of what we need to, to capture in our minds is that Having the presence of the Spirit of God in your life is not like he's got a portion of your soul at different times. It is a complete filling of the Spirit, head to toe, right? Everything that you are is being filled with the Spirit of God. Now, how does that take place? Part of it is to understand that this verb is a command, right? This isn't a suggestion. It's not, hey, if you think about it, Pursue being filled by the Spirit of God if you have time. It's like this is, this is the command, this is the task for the mark of the believer, right? Be filled with the Spirit. We need to understand that this verb is given to us in a present tense. 
So it's not like this is a one-time experience that you can have at some point in your life. Hey, you know, remember that time you walked down the aisle? Remember that time you were baptized? Remember that time at camp and you kind of got emotional and all that stuff? That was cool, man. You got filled with the Spirit, right? No, this is an ongoing experience. What, what it more literally could be translated as is go on being filled. It's an uninterrupted filling. It's every single day be filled with the Spirit. So how does that happen? It also happens by understanding the voice that this is presented in, right? It's passive voice, right? So passive means let us be filled, right? Passive voice is something that happens to you, which means you can't manufacture this, right? You can reject it, you can miss it, but you can't just conjure it up. Part of what this verb is teaching us is that this requires an act of surrender, Right? It helps us understand that God longs to fill us with his spirit. He wants to put his presence within us. What we have to do is remove those temptations and those excesses and surrender so that he can fill us with his spirit. Right? So be filled with the spirit of God. And that's where this serves, that statement serves as a perfect bridge for this paragraph. Right? When you're filled with the Spirit of God, you're going to know how to walk wisely. You're going to know how to make the most out of every opportunity. But you know what also happens when you're filled with the Spirit of God? You're going to worship. Right? That's the natural consequence of being filled with the Spirit of God. That's, that's the result. Now, this is an important part because everything that follows, right, these next two verses about what, what worship looks like is a result of being filled with the Spirit, not a means to be filled with the Spirit. And more often than not, we get that confused, right? Because we start having conversations about music and songs and church and services, and we think that's our means to being filled with the Spirit of God. So we come to church and we expect songs to be sung the way that we want them to be sung, a message to be delivered the way we want it to be delivered. Why? Because we just want to be fed. What does that imply? That I'm walking in empty. And I need something to fill me. And that's wrong. What Paul just lined out is you walk in full. You walk in with the spirit of God from head to toe and you bring joyful praise into this building, right? When we don't do that, that's what's gonna lead to our time together in worship to be filled with complaints and critiques rather with joy and with praise. So we have to be filled with the spirit first. And we do that by removing those excess pursuits of temptations so that we can surrender and allow his presence to fill us up. Man, we do that and praise is going to result, right? So let's talk about what worship looks like for a moment, okay? So he's gonna give us some pretty direct descriptions that I'm gonna get to here in a second, but I wanna kind of bring it into our context just, just for a brief moment and, and talk about what it looks like for us just as a church and even as society, right? So first of all, we talk about uh, a key conviction of ours is true and spiritual worship. Right? That's one of our key convictions as a church. It's been a while since we've reviewed those, so maybe you've forgotten that. But, but when we talk about worship, one of the things I think is an important disclaimer is to say that's bigger than music. Right? I love how Matt continually on Sunday mornings says, hey, let's continue worship through song. Let's continue worship through giving. Right? There are many avenues with which we can worship. Music is just one of them, right? It's Romans 12. Worship is offering yourself as a living sacrifice. So it's much bigger than that, but Paul is about to take us into music, specifically, right? And so 
I think it's important for us to deal with the musical component of worship from our context. And if we can just be open and candid with one another, more often than not, music can be an idol for almost all of us, right? Right, like what happens is, is because music is so powerful and we love it and it connects to us, we end up having these preferences. So we have favorite genres, we have favorite instruments, both in life and within church, and we cling so tightly to them that then we begin to think that they are more spiritual than others, and that's when it becomes an idol, right? So, so here's the, the thing, is that we need to acknowledge our tendency to have an idolatry of music, right? We just need to acknowledge, we all fall victim to it from time to time, and the reality is, is that when you really stop and think through your rationale for those things, that they don't typically hold weight biblically, right? Like, God doesn't have a favorite instrument, he doesn't have a favorite genre. He just doesn't. There's old and new songs. There's different types, different cultures, different ways. And so, so you can't typically bring your biases to the Scripture and have it hold any sort of weight. But that's not to say that there's anything wrong with biases. right? It's fine to have preferences. We just need to never let them be elevated into an improper place. right? What we need to come into is focus on the message that music is communicating, not the methodology that it's that it's being presented in, right? When you struggle with the message, when the message is off from the gospel, when the content of the songs is off from the gospel, that's what we need to take issue with. I guarantee you, you're gonna come, if you're gonna be part of our church, you're gonna hear songs that don't resonate with you with your musical preferences. I guarantee you it's gonna happen. And that's okay, right? But here's what I wanna remind you of, is that what's driving us as a church is trying to find an identity, yes, musically, but more about the philosophy behind how music leads us in worship rather than just the content uh, and the technical aspects of music as a whole, right? So, so let me briefly remind you of some of the core values that really under Matt's leadership, he has helped cultivate within this church that I uh, absolutely support and encourage that I don't want you losing sight of. Uh, values like um, we're gonna pursue excellence in our craft, which means the folks that lead you every Sunday and in other settings, man, they are desiring and pursuing excellence, right? And there's a biblical precedent for that, right? That, that folks that have that skill are often the ones that are entrusted with leading the people of God in song. And so we're grateful for their giftings. And I just put it in front of you just as a reminder that, man, they pour tons of effort into leading you through music. And that demands our respect, our appreciation, our joy. They pursue excellence, be it the choir, be it the band, be it a whoever, anybody that sets foot on the stage, they're pursuing excellence because that's what the gospel deserves, right, is, is an excellent effort. Uh, we think about a value of we leaders over me leaders. This is this idea of community, right, this understanding that we are going to have different preferences and that's a good thing because that creates a richness, that creates a diversity. And so it's not just about what, what I resonate with, but what the person next to me resonates with. And and understanding that maybe neither one of us are gonna resonate with it at time, but that's okay, right? We're, we're here through the context of community. You think about think rightly, feel deeply, that's the third one, I love this one. I can't tell you how many times Matt and I just evaluate and pour over the lyrics of a song, and, and we'll obsess over one word or one line and say, well, that's confusing, or that's not accurate, or that could be misleading, let's, let's do something else, and we won't sing that song because of it, because we believe Music is one of the greatest theological teaching tools that we have. It has to teach us to think rightly, but it also should, should help us feel deeply. 
right? It should impress upon us the beauty of the gospel, right? And so it should connect with us in meaningful ways. The word, even if the music doesn't, the message should. And when that happens, it creates a passionate response to the gospel, which is a fourth value, right? That, that part of what we're in here doing is we're celebrating what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, and I realize people have a lot of different ways to express the passion that you have for the gospel, right? I'll be honest, I think our church, we're pretty, pretty reserved in how we express that passion in the context of a Sunday morning at times, and that's okay, right? And, and I don't want you to feel compelled or pressured to respond in any way that is inauthentic to you, but here's what I do wanna say, is you have freedom. Because what we're singing about is that Jesus has saved you and that should awaken your heart and your mind. And when people step into this room, they should feel that passionate response. Right? And then the last one, we champion the church's voice. One of my, my favorite values that we've emphasized here is that probably our favorite instrument is to hear everyone's voices sing. Right? And this, this room to be feel, filled with the voices of the saints. Right? That, that it's a communal thing. And that really it's not just that we're singing to one another, but we're, we're realizing the messages and the truth that need to be sung to the world, right? That's the philosophy of worship that is governing us. And, and that's what I wanna encourage you to continue to step into. Now, how does Paul address it, right? He says, when you're filled with the Spirit, here's what worship is going to look like. And he gives us kind of two different dynamics. He gives us both a horizontal and a vertical picture of it. Okay, so, so let's, let's work through that. The first is, when you're filled with the Spirit, guess what's gonna change? It's gonna change how you speak to one another. When you're filled with the Spirit, speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs of the Spirit. This is horizontal, meaning it's person to person, brother and sister communicating to one another. It's about the community of faith, right? And so speaking to one another, that word speak to is really just any utterance. It doesn't have to be a spoken word. It, it, it works for singing. It works for any sort of application that Paul is using here. You have these uh, three different terms that are offered, psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Uh, you, you can't categorize these, right? We categorize genres all the time, right? And, and folks will say, well, hymn is technically this, and contemporary is technically this, and then gospel is technically this, and, and we categorize them. And sadly, then, a lot of times we we structure our worship based on those categories. And so let me just clarify. Paul's not saying, all right, you need to have a psalm service for all the people who love psalms. Then you need to have a hymn service for all the people who love hymns. Then you need to have a spiritual song service for all the people who have spiritual songs, right? That's not what's going on here, right? What's tying, these words can all be used interchangeably. What these words are really conjuring up is this idea of praise, right? Praise, that's what all those words mean. That's it. And so what he's saying is that when you speak to one another, speak of the praises you have for God. Ah, that's beautiful, right? That changes a climate. That changes a culture. And so here's what I love about this. Part of what we can't lose sight of that I think is so important for us to consider in this context, in this day and age, is that true worship, worship through song, it's, it's designed for community. It's not meant for isolation. Listen, I love singing in my car by myself. Absolutely, man, I'll belt it. Don't care what anybody hears. It's not enough. And I love all y'all joining us online and at home and being safe. I'll just tell you, though, that's not enough. It's not. And I'm not saying you have to come here, 
But I, what I'm saying is, is that worship and, and worship through song needs to be corporate. There's something powerful about it because it gives us the chance to speak to one another the truths of the gospel. And that's powerful, and we need that in our life, right? So that's the horizontal component. The vertical component says, now make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father, Jesus Christ, for everything, right? I love, I love this statement. So the heart is the seed of emotions. It's the, the essence of who you are as a person. It's your, your whole identity. And what Paul is saying is there in everything that you are, make music to God. And I just love that picture because like we said earlier, there are just certain things you can express with music that you can't through words. And what Paul is saying is that you always have a reason to give a song to God the Father. Man, when your heart is filled with gratitude, then sing. When it's filled with worry, then sing. When it's filled with fear and trepidation and grief, then sing. Make music in your heart to God. And this is where we get kind of the the balance and bringing back that idea of contentment and away from the pursuit of excesses because what does it say? With always giving thanks for everything. Not just when life is good, not just when it's going your way, always. In, in poverty and in poor health, in a pandemic or when can masses can gather, in, in good times or in bad, always give thanks for everything. Because every season you go through, be it difficult, be it positive, gives you an opportunity to more greatly understand the essence of the gospel, the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, the sufficiency of the cross. That allows you to face any day, no matter what it presents, and say, today I am thankful. Is that what you've done? Have you thanked God for this pandemic? Have you thanked him for it? And the opportunity that it's creating for you to rediscover the sufficiency of the gospel? Have you thanked him for the hard things that have taken place in your life? Thank him for everything. Make music in your heart to the Lord. All right, so it's a very powerful passage that helps us understand the role that music can play. Let, let me close with a final thought here of what I really, really love about it. What I love about what we've just read and how Paul describes this being filled with the Spirit in the context of worship is it's almost like it's bringing the great commandment to life, right? Because that's, that's the identity of a Christ follower. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, right? It, it's, it's this identity that should govern our very existence as believers, Right? That, that the reason we can always give thanks is because we see that Jesus, God so rich in love, sent his one and only son through Jesus so that we can find forgiveness and mercy that allows us to escape the clutches of death and despair and be offered not just grace and not just forgiveness, but the hope of life everlasting. And that promise should awaken our love 
to God and to our neighbor. And so part of what he's saying is, you know the greatest commandment, sing accordingly. (laughs) So when you walk in here, it's not, man, I hope they sing that song that I like. You walk in here and you think to yourself, man, how can I sing to my brothers and sisters today? How can I sing to my God today? Because I know that when I have a chance to use my voice today, my brothers and sisters need to be reminded of God's faithfulness. They need to be reminded of his mercy. They need to be reminded of these promises. And my God needs to hear my joyful praise. That's the song that we sing. It's the great commandment coming to life in our worship. So we should sing accordingly. And so that's what we're gonna do. All right, we're gonna conclude our time together to behold this holy God for all of his majesty, all of his might, helping us to see the world differently, see ourselves differently, see other people differently, and see it work itself out in a way that the Spirit causes us to cry out and declare his holiness and to worship him in spirit and truth, singing to each other and singing to him both today and forevermore. Let's do this as the Spirit leads. Father in heaven, we thank you for the opportunity. We thank you for the gift of music. God, the way that you created and designed the notes that could be arranged in melodies and lyrics and and created with with different types of instruments, different types of of ways that they can be brought together. God, what an incredible gift. May we steward it well. God, help us to find a song to sing that encourages the neighbor, that brings you the praise and the gratitude and the thankfulness that you so richly deserve, God. Father, help us to once again see you for who you are, to see your holiness, to see what your hands have done, what your hands have made, and let us cry out and declare with full hearts our love and our devotion to you, Father. We thank you, and we offer our song to you. May you forever be praised. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.